technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today. And we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... With my virtual proxy, understanding that I have a preference or an affinity for Star Wars, there's the opportunity to unlock this, this preference-based, unique, personalized experience that's driven through AR. So when I walk into a Target, if I'm more of a Star Trek guy than a Star Wars guy, <laughs> those billboards that direct people to the Star Wars stuff might instead direct me elsewhere. That's correct. And unfortunately, Michael, I have to end this interview now if you're a Star Trek fan. I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. You're listening to The Future with Mick podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. Tom Edwards is a real-life tech titan. The founder of the futurist marketing firm Blackfin360 is the winner of the Technology Advocate Award at the 2019 Tech Titan Awards. Edwards started Blackfin360 as a tech blog the same year Apple unveiled the iPhone. And ever since, he's been connecting the dots between technology of the day and its impact on tomorrow. We began at Futurhythmic by talking about that tech titan title. So I'm talking to a bona fide tech Titan, congratulations on your win. Thank you, Michael. I really appreciate it. Tell us what that was all about. You know, the Tech Titan organization, it, it's just an incredible organization. And the specific award I was recognized for was technology advocacy. And that's an individual who's taking and essentially evangelizing about technology. You talk a lot of experience-driven culture. Let's, I suppose, first define the terms. How do you define experience-driven culture? To me, you know, I used to talk a lot how, about how disruption was the new normal, and now it's more about this acceleration through intelligent, exper intelligent experiences. But for me, it really comes down to the fact that technology is culture and culture is technology. So spent the last 20 years really focusing on that alignment between consumer behavior and emerging technology. I think part of the problem, though, with with uh, tying culture to technology and technology to culture is that so much of it up until quite recently had been anchored by a desk with a power outlet. That's right. But that's really not the case anymore, and it will most certainly not be the case going forward. And I suppose the very early example would be just the, the little glowing rectangle that is our smartphone. <laughs> Michael, you're 100% correct. You know, it used to be about desktop and mobile, and now we're moving towards this time of multimodal interfaces. That's voice, that's vision, that's touch. And a lot of it is really enhanced. It's more about enhancing mobility moving forward. The mobile device isn't going away, at least in the next few years. But over time, we are shifting to a point in the near future to where our environment will adapt to us versus us inputting into the device. Right. The idea I remember in the early days of the U.S. robotics Palm Pilot. Yes. Where, yes, it did handwriting recognition, but you had to change the way you wrote your letters to accommodate the technology. So, for example, you couldn't lift the stylus off the screen when you wrote. It had to be a single gesture. And as a result, you had to change such letters as the letter E. And to this day, I still write the letter E from the top down in two broad strokes because that's what I had pro had to be programmed to do in order for the technology to accommodate what I needed. 
Oh, that's amazing. That's so funny. But now that's very much a different case. You know, we, we seem to be moving more towards ambient computing where mm -hmm. those glowing rectangles don't even glow anymore. I've got a, a box on my desk that I just talked to and it talks back to me and gives me answers to questions that I had. But again, that's still tied to a machine that's plugged into the wall. Correct. When it comes to augmented reality, and, and I suppose to a much lesser degree virtual reality, AR gives us that ability to be out and about and make that computing ambient as well. That's correct. That's 100% correct. And you're seeing, you're seeing a mass focus on democratization around augmented reality technology. You see, you see organizations like Facebook and Apple really investing in AR. And a lot of it really comes down to those core behaviors being driven by Gen Z individuals born from 1996 to 2010, they were the first mobile first generation. They learned to swipe before they learned to speak. And how they interact with the camera is a lot different than how maybe you and I grew up with it as a capture device. <laughs> for them, the camera is essentially the home screen. It's a platform for them to create from. So you're 100% correct. And as well, you know, you talk about that generation growing up with this type of technology. You know, we, we've seen that. We've all seen that video of the infant um, <laughs> looking at a magazine and trying to swipe the page to change the image. Yes. So when it comes to that experience-driven culture, I suppose there's a bit of a bifurcation between those who knew life before the internet existed and had to sort of build themselves into that new world versus those who we raised from infants in that world. Yes, you're, you're definitely correct. And I've done a lot of research across generational cohorts and the differences and the expectations around technology. Let's take, let's take AI, for example. There's one basic area of consistency across every generational cohort of how or why people adopt intelligent systems, and that comes back to ease and convenience. If that, if that is at the core of whatever the experience is, how, as things evolve, and over time it is going to be less about just a single technology like AR or an AI-based system or VR even, it's the convergence of all of these technologies, to your point, to get us towards that ambient computing type of environment. So that to me has been the fascinating thing when I start looking at, you know, the digital natives all the way up to boomers, how they interact and their expectations associated with technology. Gen Z wants to use virtual assistants to connect with their friends. Uh, millennials want to actually potentially replenish purchase. So from a commerce perspective, there's an expectation of just this always on commerce that's available, accessible. For Gen X, it's really about um, helping them manage finances. So different use cases for different generations, but at the same time, you're seeing kind of these kind of connection points in across each of those core demographics. That boomer generation is particularly interesting to me when it comes to adoption rates. As you point out, that ease of use becomes the, the key selling point for any new adoption of, te of technology. That's right. By example, this, this was the generation that back in the 1970s was told, be careful with that telephone sitting on your desk because, you know, the government can listen in even if it's on the hook. You know, you don't want to have these eavesdropping devices built into your homes. And there was an element of paranoia associated with that. Mm -hmm. But then you fast forward, and today, when you look at those who own smart speakers, one in five of them is over the age of 60. That's right. And they deliberately put an eavesdropping device into their homes. <laughs> and the only reason why they were willing to do so was because it was so easy to use. That's right. 
You're 100% correct. And that ease of use is going to continue to drive that, that additional adoption. What, you're, what we're going to see over time, we're going to see that virtual assistant is going to become, continue to become a preference center of you as an individual. You're seeing the virtual assistant moving towards the center of the operating system. You know, there's been this arms race for between Apple and Alexa and Google, you know, between Siri and Alexa voice services and Google Assistant. And Apple still wants to maintain and keep applications relevant. So Siri is all about directing shortcuts directly into an application. But what I see happening over time is the virtual assistants will essentially become develop this new proxy web to where my virtual assistant will talk to your virtual assistant, everything from scheduling. So that is going to fundamentally and shift. That's going to fundamentally shift how we interact as people. And that then will ultimately lead towards how we interact with the environment. Whenever we have essentially AR at scale facilitated by 5G, you know, we'll be able to have that low latency, you know, fast connection. And ultimately the virtual assistant will be the anchor of the experience that then helps to, to predict what the actual experiences are going to be as we're interacting with our world around us. That's a very interesting point, because one of the things that I like to talk to people about when it comes to technology is that we often look at new technology in isolation, that this is a new development here, but we don't look at the other technologies that are being developed alongside that end up working together to create that next big thing. Like the smartphone would never have existed if we hadn't made advances in everything from the chips for wireless to the actual glass. If none of that had come together or one or two of those pieces were missing, we wouldn't have these, as they say, glowing rectangles in our pockets. But you've taken it to an interesting new level when it comes to artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. which is that not only are we using AI in the form of things like smart speakers and, and other technologies, but soon they're going to be interacting with each other, saving us from having to be in the loop in the first place. That's correct. And you know, there's always this there's always this friction between consumers and choice and ease and convenience. You know, I know you've covered this topic before on the future on the futurismic show. So that's really where that inflection point is going to be. It's giving the consumers enough choice to where they feel like there's, they're in control because control is a huge behavioral driver for why these shifts are happening. But when it comes back again to this kind of connection and how environments are going to evolve, again, it comes through loud and clear that if we provide ease and convenience through intelligent systems, people will adopt them. So again, that's, that's going to be the really interesting thing to watch over the next few years as we see advancements in, you know, again, we talked about the rollout of 5G. We see potentially with by 2023 or 2025, one of the major technology manufacturers will have a smart glasses product on the market and will continue to move towards this idea of multimodal interfaces at scale. So as these things happen, the acceleration and adoption for every new technology continues to get shorter and shorter and shorter. We're already starting to see elements of yes. that when it comes to the the smart glasses. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my favorite article recently was out of the Motley Fool titled Seven Reasons Amazon's Echo Frames Won't Catch On. <laughs> Would anyone buy smart glasses that lack a display and camera? Like how short-sighted is that? Because the reality is, is that most of what we want to do, we don't necessarily need the visual component to it. And this is almost a thin edge to the wedge. This is the first pair of smart glasses I've ever seen 
that don't make you look like a dork. <laughs> you are a hundred percent correct. So there was one, there have been a couple bridge cycles. There's been Bose who they came out with more of a, it was more of a sunglass form factor mm -hmm. that essentially was driven by audio cues with no kind of visual heads up display. And there's been this company called Vuzix. I've seen them at CES for the last like two or three years. Oh yeah. And they're trying to go with more of that, you know, aesthetic look too, but you're exactly right. You've got Alexa doing that. You've got Facebook partnering with Luxotic, uh, Luxotica, you know, the parent company for Ray-Bans to really try to come up with an appealing form factor. And they're potentially going to launch their own assistant. You know, they tried to with M back on the more of the chatbot messaging side, but it looks like they're going to jump back in because they see where some of these shifts are coming and the impact that having a virtual assistant within their kind of ecosystem is going to drive from a data creation perspective, experience enhancement perspective, and a driver for their hardware. Let's talk about that other technology. As I mentioned, uh, I firmly believe that when we look at advances in technology, we need to look at what else is advancing around it. And 5G is one of those transformational technologies as far as I'm concerned. Again, those Amazon Echo frames, there's no camera and that's considered to be a negative, but it's uh, this is version one. Right. We're going to get to a point where we're going to see cameras embedded in them, not for the necessarily purposes of taking pictures, etc., but so that that artificial intelligence system, that machine learning system that has been trained to recognize everything from street signs to you know, other directions, wayfinding, individuals, stuff like that. Uh, that they'll put those cameras in those glasses, but you're going to need a secondary technology that's capable of streaming that content to the edge, to that machine in the cloud somewhere that's going to do the heavy lifting because it's certainly not taking place on our frames. It's not taking place in our pockets. And 4G isn't capable of providing us with that low latency, high speed ability to get the information where it needs to go so that it can be processed and then spit back out at us. <laughs> Michael, you hit the nail on the head. What's really going to unlock this move towards simulated reality, it is going to be 5G. It's about the speed, it's about reduction of latency, and it's about the capacity component of that. So you take and combine those three elements, and that's what's gonna unlock and enhance edge computing. It's gonna enhance IoT communication, location tracking, human-machine interaction, like all of these things that we talk about on a daily basis. Are, that's gonna become the underlying way in which we, right now, 3G, 4G connects everyone. Now it's gonna be about everyone and everything. And once we get to that point and there is low latency, you know, we have low lag video chat or we have highly responsive AR based experiences. That's been the missing component to get to this idea of AR based simulation that's going to power the hardware. So you're 100% correct. So if we eventually get these types of eyeglasses that beam the video directly into our eyeballs <laughs> as they're already working on. Yes. The, the go-to killer app is is rote. It, it's uh, wayfinding. It's always about getting from point A to point B. But I want to get your insight into some of the use cases for combining 5G, artificial intelligence, and augmented reality that don't involve ensuring that I get to my destination on time. Absolutely. So I talk a lot about this digital twin hypothesis. So currently, Digital Twin is basically taking and replicating, say, it's, it's heavily used in industry. So taking a physical system 
and replicating that digitally. What's happening now is that because we have the ability to do so much in terms of volumetric spatial capture, over time, the real world will be scanned in some way. It's going to start, say, at a, I'll take a retail example. Say, for example, Target. Target always goes incredibly big anytime there's a Star Wars movie. I'm, you know, Star Wars fan since the late 70s. So every time there's a movie release, they have a lot of printed pieces in the store. With 5G, with AR, with, uh, with all of this kind of strong capacity to actually uh, deliver these experiences, and with my virtual proxy understanding that I have a preference or an affinity for Star Wars, there's the opportunity to unlock this, this preference-based, unique, personalized experience that's driven through AR. So when I walk into a Target, if I'm more of a Star Trek guy than a Star Wars guy, <laughs> those billboards that direct people to the Star Wars stuff might instead direct me elsewhere. That's correct. That is correct. And unfortunately, Michael, I have to end this interview now. If you're a Star Trek fan, I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. Totally kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm totally with you on the Star Wars thing. My favorite thing about the uh, Star Wars fans versus Star Trek fans, I, I can't remember who told me this, but the line was, the difference between a Star Wars fan and a Star Trek fan, Star Wars fans know this future isn't coming true. <laughs> so true. With the Borg on Star Trek. Oh, my goodness. But no, it's you're, you're exactly correct, though. It's about... To me, that's where the virtual assistant being the preference center with a 5G-enabled environment with, with locations that have been essentially volumetrically captured. And we're moving towards this time. Facebook's working on kind of they have this full-body avatar codex that they're working on right now where you can basically simulate your head. They're looking at full-body. Yep. So the ability to place ourselves within these either fully immersive experiences or redefining what presence is when interacting with family, or like you and I are talking about, having that, that simulated reality via AR, but all of that becomes more of a reality with 5G. My concern is that the, the primary focus is going to be selling us more things <laughs> yes you know as you point out you know the billboard can change depending on what my preference is or as we discussed in in the first episode of future rhythmic the fear is that if coca-cola pays more than pepsi to put a billboard on the side of the highway then we can do an end run around that decision and replace that billboard at will. Uh, we have to be very careful about how we advance this technology and ensuring that it's doing so for the greater good. That's right. I agree. I, I agree a thousand percent with that. And if I had it all to do over again, I would go back and go to law school and study digital rights management because that's going to be the next billion dollar industry as we begin to be able to take physical spaces and completely rearrange them. So there's going to have to be checks and balances in place, whether that's a royalty-based system or some type of mechanism that's able to track this. But that is going to be a, a new area of opportunity for those entrepreneurial um, by nature. And it's going to be really interesting for specific brands that currently pay for a specific uh, physical location that could be altered digitally. I wonder too, you know, when we think about 5G, the, the go-to references are low latency, right. you know, 
getting from point A to point B and back to point A again uh, in a round trip that is substantially faster than what we already have. And then, of course, the other one is you can download a, a high-definition video in four and a half minutes on 4G and 1.2 seconds on 5G. But built in within that um, are additional technologies that most of us really aren't familiar with, which includes the low power requirements. We, we are going to literally be putting sensors everywhere in our world that feeds back to us information about our world. That's correct. But it's an insane amount of information to send to you or me, and that's where artificial intelligence comes in. Absolutely, and that's one of the things. I've been working across various uh, machine learning algorithms for the last four years, and the beauty of ML, and machine learning is just simply human-coded algorithms, so I can take and process millions of comments and pull out different themes, perceptions, occasions, and anything to do with basically processing large amounts of data. That's why all of this is so interesting. To me, one of the most interesting use cases of 5G is tied to edge computing and specifically edge analytics. So where I can do analysis in real time from all those millions of IoT sensors that you just mentioned. Give me a use case. Yeah, okay. So say, for example, public sector, you're looking at managing a, a potential smart city. And so you can have edge computing that helps direct. You want to have edge computing is simply being as close to the locate. The processing of the information is happening as close to the location as possible. You think about the importance of traffic lights or railroad crossings in terms of the management of experience. If you don't have an edge based system, there's a potential for lag and that could essentially cause issues. So what I'm looking at, in order to get from desktop and mobile and really get into multimodal or really taking into account all of these millions of sensors that we have available, I want to be able to not only take and have all of the real-time information coming in, it's one thing to capture the information. The biggest issue with big data over the past you know, few years, it's not the capturing of the data. It's the analysis and driving intelligent decisioning or predictive decisioning from that information. So if we're able to capture that information from those sensors in real time, zoom in on a specific area and do real time analytics that could then drive some type of whether it's a, a better traffic experience, uh, going back to our smart city exchange or whatever the other use case is. That, to me, is where it really, really becomes to where you can scale this type of technology. And to this point, we can't do that on 3G and 4G because of what you, what you previously mentioned. But 5G is going to be that enabler because of the millions of sensors that are connected that, again, we go back to that idea of everyone and everything. And I'm a big data geek. I'm a, I'm a data nerd. I love processing and working with different models and trying to get to different outcomes on behalf of clients and driving growth. So to me, the more information that's available, but having the tools or the algorithms that we can take and apply, whether that's text-based or visual, is it, it can just really fundamentally shift and change and enhance our lives. When we spoke with Sandy Pentland at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, you know, the, the biggest brain at MIT for machine learning, uh, I, I said to him at, towards the end of our conversation, somewhat sheepishly, that I felt really uncomfortable asking him questions about artificial intelligence because it 
is truly artificial and it's not very intelligent. And it was his suggestion that we're about 50 years away from true AI and until then it's all ML. That's correct. So yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there are three types of artificial intelligence and you've talked about this before. There's artificial narrow intelligence and that's really what we're seeing a lot of today. It's a single function. You can talk to Alexa, you can talk to Siri. There's there's a little bit of a yeah, a little bit of a pervasive profile that can maybe answer questions post. There's artificial general intelligence. That's whenever you've got a single system that can essentially have the same processing power of all of humanity. And then there's the the super intelligence, you know, so much of our view of AI comes from entertainment, whether it's the Matrix or Ultron for the Avengers or, you know, I love the pop culture references. But you're right. Getting to a point right now, I'm a bigger believer in intelligence augmentation than AI replacing us as as individuals. I think it's similar to what we've seen with the internet. When the internet came around, people were very concerned about losing jobs. What they didn't see is the different types of, of jobs that would essentially be created over time. And I see something similar happening with the adoption of AI. Right now, we're seeing it take and you know, you've got a lot happening on, you know, like a digital transformation initiatives. You have a lot happening internally, replacing older systems, making those specific connections. Even with AI and HR, they're getting into things like tonal analysis during performance reviews and, and different ways in which you can apply AI into business. But to me, again, it's about how can we take all of this information and now where we'll have even more data that's going to be available to us. That is the key to unlocking any true value from that information is using the algorithms in a way that's going to allow us to drive predictive decisioning. As evangelical as I am about artificial intelligence and uh, 5G and augmented reality, we always have to sort of stop, step back, take a sober second look at how we're implementing this type of technology. When it comes to AI, we recognize the inherent bias in the data sets and that we have uh, a, a real important role in, uh, aug in auditing the results of anything that comes out of one of these black boxes and ensuring that it's actually transparent, not a black box. When it comes to AR, my biggest concern is that the marketing world is going to take over and they're going to fill my field of view with advertisements. It, it reminds me of Ready Player One yes. when they talk about how they could fill 80% <laughs> of our field of view before our brains explode. <laughs> you know someone's thinking about that. Absolutely. Well, for you, though, what is your what is your bigger concern about implementation? What do we need to get right so we don't get it very wrong? You know, there's always there's always a privacy concern. I think so much of this now is going to be about redefining what presence actually means. So when you're talking to your family or if I'm traveling on a business trip, you know, you see you're seeing steps towards this. You're seeing Facebook with portal and trying to redefine presence. You see this now with, uh, with virtual reality. And, you know, I've recently been having team meetings in virtual reality and, you know, it's, it's aligning this idea of presence and, you know, whether it's co-viewing or whatever else. I, I do feel strongly that the ultimate power needs to be with the consumer. And so you have steps coming in 2020. You have uh, you have some of the the uh, consent based uh, consumer consent based um, legislation that's coming to the United States for the first time, being led through California. 
where it's more about consumer rights associated with their data and how it's used. It's going to be interesting to see how that shifts the behavior from a, a digital marketing perspective. So I think that part of it is going to be driven by legislation. Part of it's going to be driven by um, the end consumer and just understanding, you know, what some of the inherent risks are associated with that. But then ultimately, too, it, it's there's so much of this just desire to create going back to Gen Z for just a second. You know, 69% of them have their own YouTube channel. 80-something percent of them have actually interacted with augmented reality filters. Hey, hang on, back up. Yeah. Two out of three Generation Zs mm -hmm. have their own YouTube channel. That's correct. So this is where it gets really, really, really interesting. It's not... It's bonkers. Yeah. And even going back to VR, most people think that the primary use case for VR is gaming. It's not. So you've got 140 million people using VR-based headsets, only about 16 million are using them for gaming. A majority of people are using it for 360-degree video or mm -hmm. you know, consuming content. So a lot of what I'm seeing coming forward with AR and VR is enhancing that entertainment experience. You, know, you see Gen Z spending two and a half hours a day with on-demand content, an hour and a half a day gaming, 50-something minutes a day with music. How they interact how the content that they're consuming, how that's going to impact commerce moving forward. Those are things I'm really interested in kind of from a behavioral standpoint to see how these things will continue to evolve. It's interesting that you point out gaming because what I've found when it comes to any new technology that there are generally, and it's often said that, that there are generally one or two key use cases for technology that drives adoption. You know, the, the, you get this standard pornography is what gave us the VHS machine that we had back in the 80s and, and, and early 90s. But I find more that it's that what drives technology is gaming and at this point, yes, VR is is largely a, a video game sort of platform, but it's that thin edge to the wedge to get us to think about that technology for more than just that. As you point out, you're doing meetings in VR, uh, which, first of all, I have no idea why you're doing that at this point <laughs> until we get you know, eye tracking, which gives us more realistic facial expressions, because one of the most important reasons why you have a face-to-face -face meeting is so that you can read the face of the person you're talking to. But that's coming. That is correct. It's more of a comedic avatar-based uh, environment right now where the environment is a little bit more engaging than just a, a video-based thing. But I agree with you a thousand percent. It is it is definitely coming. I know that Facebook's doing an immense amount of research on that front as well. But you're right. You know, you start looking at, you know, in America last year, 100 million people watched the Super Bowl. But when it comes to gaming and specifically esports or competitive gaming, 300 million people tuned into an esports final. You had $3 million given away to a 16-year-old at the Fortnite World Cup tournament. I took my youngest son there in New York earlier this summer, and it was amazing to watch. But you're seeing this shift happen. You're seeing this shift towards it's less about live sports. It's more about you know their favorite YouTube influencer, their favorite streamer, you know, the interaction-based uh, economies that are being set up on Mixer and on Twitch, you're, you're seeing this just kind of dynamic shift from what used to be. And from a marketing perspective, I see a lot of organizations and companies really struggling and still holding on to traditional television or some of the other mediums 
and not really jumping into where the eyeballs are going. And it's just going to be further enhanced. You're seeing more VR-based broadcast of events. But again, you have to keep an eye on the behaviors tied to streaming as well as gaming. And it's, it's just so accessible and the impact that that's going to have on the evolution of experience as well. See the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world-changing ideas. All by visiting futurhythmic.com. The Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.